there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. <laughs> That's funny. Jess just shared with us this uh, bumper sticker that he saw. Where are we going and why I'm in this handbasket? And of course, it relates to that old phrase, going to hell in a handbasket. Have you yet wondered how you can do the same idiotic things again? In other words, where am I going and how did I get in this handbasket? The work teaches the idea of recurrence. A recurrence is a strange idea for us because it's not reincarnation, something that we've heard about and we're f kind of familiar with. Remember, I say kind of familiar with because when we confuse reincarnation and transmigration. Reincarnation is coming back into a body. You re-enter a body, reincarnate. Re you become carnate, carnal, again, reincarnation. But transmigration is you transmigrate from one species to another. In other words, you can go forwards or backwards. You can become a cat or a cockroach. That philosophy is transmigration. The reason I'm telling you this is because we don't know these things in the West. This isn't something that we're familiar with. In the West, we're familiar with scientific theory. In the West, we're familiar with business techniques and how to earn more money and how to do this and how to do that. But in the East, it's different. These people have thought about these things and meditated on these things and studied these things and pursued these things and made divisions where we don't even know there's a reason for division. For us, it's like, well, who cares? So I don't care about that. That's ridiculous. The work teaches this idea of recurrence. Recurrence is not reincarnation, but rather the idea of repetition. So I'll give it to you briefly. Reincarnation is you die and then your unfinished business, which is called karma, is something that you've got to finish. So you need a body to finish it. And you come back into a body and then your task in that body is to wake up at some point in your life and to finish your unfinished business or to just burn it off. In other words, to consciously do it or to unconsciously repeat it. And that could go on for a long, long time. Countless incarnations. That's the philosophy. You do whatever you want with it. I'm not telling you that this is true. You need to believe this or not believe this. I'm just telling you what the philosophy is. The philosophy of transmigration is that you come and if you were like a real creep here in a body, you don't get another body. You go back on the wheel of 84 and you go back 84 lakhs. A lakh is 100,000. So 8,400,000, hundred you have 8,400,000 lives. So you go back to ground zero and you start again. And then you work your way up through the species from whatever is lowest back up to human. Um, and then you have another chance. Become human, then you have a chance to develop a soul. And before then, you don't, that you're just moving up. Okay, so that obviously is one that's not going to sell very well in the West. <laughs> we don't like that, no. We'll take a new body. Okay, maybe, you know, all right, well, uh, you know, it's okay. If I can be Bill Gates next time around, okay. But recurrence is not reincarnation. Recurrence is the idea that if you don't get it this time, you come back and do it again in this same time. You don't progress 
into 50 years later or you come back in this same time. Remember, time in the fourth way is a whole different thing. It's not understood in this linear way that we understand time normally. It's understood as a fourth dimension. And in that dimension, it's not a line. It's not a space. It's not anything like that. It's a fourth dimension. And in that dimension, you can recur. Let's say that time is a ball of string, and here you have the beginning, and here you have the end, if you stretch it out. But if you ball it all up, the beginning and the end all touch. It's all touched together, and so you can cross in that string, and you can be here and still be here and still be here and still be here and still be here, because here is always happening, because it's all balled up. And see, our minds don't accept that very well. So I I explain that. And of course, I'm not communicating the idea. I'm just giving you another way of boggling your mind so that maybe it'll pop. And that's it. Maybe your head will pop and you'll get it. And that is all that my job is. My job is to talk about these things in different ways until you're so confused that your head pops. And when your head pops, you might get it. And that's called Satori in some philosophies, you know, just all of a sudden... It pops and you get it. And you've had those experiences where things popped and you got it. And sometimes it was because someone was yelling at you and sometimes it was because someone was confusing you and sometimes it was because you were so mad you wanted to kill someone, whatever. It's what happens. Recurrence is, oh no, you don't come back in another body and you don't come back as a bug. You come back as you and you do it again. And hopefully, if you did your work here, you wake up a little earlier and you start working in this next life a little sooner. That's the idea of recurrence. We don't talk about that because of the look on your face right now. The look on your face right now is, oh, no, <laughs> this is not a good idea. We don't like this. This is it for me. I'm going to do this now, and I'm getting out of here. I don't know how, but somehow I'm going to get out of here. My final get-out-of-jail-free card is Jesus is going to take me back. You know, There's going to be a rapture, and I'm going to get raptured out of here. You know, I'm going to go be with Jesus or whatever, whatever. You know, It's like somebody's got, you've, you've got some kind of get-out-of-jail-free card that you're holding back there that you're not telling anybody about, you're lying about. But that's okay. You can't hide it. You think you can hide it, but you can't hide it. So that's basically recurrence. It's a good word if it's understood properly. It's from the Latin, and of course I can't speak Latin, so forgive me for this, recurrere, which is from re, which again is back, and carere, which is run. How often do you find your machine running back to what you no longer wish, saying things that you don't wish to say? How many times do you find your machine doing things that you no longer wish to do, but it keeps doing them? So in that sense, there's a constant recurrence going on every day for us. So the work just extrapolates that out in scale and says, well, look, if you're doing that now, what makes you think you're going to stop doing that if you don't consciously do something about stopping doing that? Which is really a good point when you think about it. So I don't talk about it because the truth is it's not necessary to develop and it tends to provide fuel for imagination. And that imagination, of course, is negative imagination. We start to we start to moan about it and how we're not going to make it. Or we start to imagine that we have made it, whichever. One extreme or the other, you can count on it because we're pendulum swingers. Down here in the second level of consciousness, what I call us is knuckle-dragging savages who swing on the pendulum. You're just like a monkey swinging in from tree to tree in a forest, from one extreme to another. That's what we do here. And our job is to stop that. That's simple. We do, however, talk about escape from prison, the prison of mechanicalness. Really, what is it that imprisons us if it's not unconscious repetition? If it's the fact that you cannot control your negative emotions. You are the slave of your negative emotions, and that comes from your unconsciousness, and it functions through your mechanicality. Your unconsciousness means that you act mechanically. 
which means that you repeat, you recur, that it goes again and again and again. You have so many examples of that. We're just going to give that the light touch and move on. Some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, that was the light touch. <laughs> okay, well, the next time you want to dust in my house, get the cobwebs out with a feather duster instead of a sledgehammer. But you know, it's pretty much the way you take it. I know it's more fun to blame me. It's certainly easier for you to blame me. But really, the truth is, it's how you take it. If it's a feather duster to you, then, you know, some things I say, I think, was that, I, and I say to somebody, you know, I'll say to people, you know, was that too harsh? Was that too much? If it wasn't, they say no. If it was, they say nothing. And so, you know, I don't know even why I say it. It's kind of stupid to say it. Mental note, stop saying that. Okay, I'll address it today, this whole idea of recurrence, for clarification, because what we don't know will cripple us and it'll eventually kill us. How you value the idea will determine if it helps or hinders you. I have said before, this work can be very dangerous. These ideas can be very dangerous. And it's how you use the ideas that makes them dangerous in the same way how you use a gun that makes it dangerous. A gun is a dangerous thing. If you point it in the wrong direction and pull the trigger and it's loaded, you can destroy something that you didn't want to destroy. And so it's a dangerous thing. You've got to handle it wisely. The truth is the same. It's a dangerous thing and it must be handled wisely. The truth can be used to stone other human beings, or it can be used to teach us how to love other human beings. It can be used either way, but it's a dangerous thing, and you must understand how to handle it. As we are, we are products of life. What that means is that life has produced us, and we accurately reflect our producer, our author. We call God our Father, but we do not do the things that God does, and so God is not our Father. Our Father is life. Life is our author. That's what a father is. A father is an author. What authors us is life. Why we do the wicked things that we do is because we are authored by life. Life, in case you haven't noticed, is cruel. Nature is cruel and violent. Big things eat little things all day long. Many call it pitiless nature because that seagull doesn't care that this little turtle is just born and is trying to get to safety in the sea. All it sees is a snack and it goes and eats it without any thought about, well, gee, it doesn't have a chance to live. Maybe I should give it a, a running chance to get to the ocean. I mean, maybe I should let this one go. No, it doesn't let anything go until it's full. Then it lets them go. But it doesn't care at all. And that's nature. And that's our author. And that's how we are. We imagine that we're not like that. But that's pure imagination. So that's why we are the way we are. We build and destroy repetitively, just like nature. Nature puts out hundreds and hundreds of these little turtles, and a handful of them make it to safety, and the rest are food for predators. And that's that. Life balances itself, but it does not produce a balanced man. In this work, a balanced man is called man number four. A balanced man is something that life can't produce because life doesn't care. Life doesn't care about a man any more than it cares about an ant or a bee. To life, it's all the organic film on this planet and what life can get out of it. To life, it's a matter of simply serving its own purpose. And its purpose is not your purpose. What you want from life, life doesn't care whether you get it or not. It does not care. Unless, of course, you want pain and suffering. Then life cares. It's like, oh, it will welcome you with open arms. Because life will create pain and suffering for you. This is a pain factory. And pain and suffering creates the energy that life feeds off of. So life's purpose is to get pain and suffering from you, to get negative emotions from you, to squeeze you, to wring you out, to use you up. That's life's purpose, okay? So that it can get what it wants. It's to harvest you. Moo. Bah. However you like to think of yourself. Of course, you don't like to think of yourself. Either of those terms, but get used to it because if you're going to wake up, you're going to see this. 
you're going to actually see yourself as that. You're going to have to see yourself as that because that's what you are. And if you refuse to see yourself like that, then you refuse to enter the third state of consciousness. Then you get to stay in the second state of consciousness and serve life. And that's that. And that's okay because there's nothing wrong with that. So life really doesn't care for our possibility apart from its purpose. The work says you have a possibility of evolution. You have a possibility of escaping this. You have a possibility of becoming something else. In fact, you have the right to be conscious. You have the right to live in, not to enter, but to live in the third state of consciousness. You have that right to live in the third state of consciousness. What happened to it? Well, we gave it up. That's what happened to it. We gave it up. But we can take it back. Now, because life doesn't produce man number four, and there are such men, I mean, we do know that there are balanced men. Man number four, the balanced man, is, is actually the portal It's a doorway between two worlds. Now, men numbers one, two, and three make up the mechanical circle of humanity. Men numbers five, six, and seven make up the conscious circle of humanity. The reason we're talking about this, in order not to recur, man number four recurs. In order to stop recurring, you must reach the sea. (laughs) The little turtle, you must reach the sea before the seagull or whatever predator is there eats you. That's your job, to reach the safety of the sea. Of course, you reach the safety of the sea, there are fish waiting to eat you too. It's not that simple. It's not just get to the sea. The sea is kind of man number four. Then you've got a running chance. You're in your element. You've gotten to the third state of consciousness, and you're now working to reach the fourth state of consciousness. You can now swim, and that's what turtles, sea turtles do, is they swim. So once they hit the water, their chances have increased. As long as they're on the beach, they don't have much of a chance. They can make it to the water, their chances have increased. The chances are still aren't good, but their chances have increased. And so you get to be man number four. Man number four, balanced man, starts off in the third state of consciousness. Self-awareness, self-remembering, self-consciousness, where you can actually begin to work on balancing your centers. What does that mean, balancing your centers? Well, in order to know how to balance your centers, you've got to know what they are. And men numbers one, two, and three, as I said, form the mechanical circle of humanity. And those men are, number one is instinctive, moving. Number two is emotional. Number three, man is, his psychology is predominantly intellectual. That doesn't mean that they're only that. It means that they are predominantly that, that that is their comfort zone, that that is where they will live their lives if they remain unconscious. If they can begin to awaken, if they can begin to touch the third state of consciousness, if they can begin to remember themselves, they can begin to move out of, with great difficulty, move out of their niche, their one, two, or three, and start to use other centers than one, two, or three. But as we are, you will notice that we take the line of least resistance. You do what you're good at. For example, I went into Jess's bathroom and on the little counter there, all these little magazines. And and I looked at the magazine. They were all handyman. (laughs) And I had to giggle at that. I just thought that was really funny. Handyman. And it's like, I didn't even know there was such a magazine called Handyman. I would be reading Sat Sandish or something, but Jess is reading Handyman. What is that? Well, that's two different types of man. Man number one... He's working with his hands. He's a handyman. He's mechanical. He's figuring. He's calculating. He's counting. He's setting things in a row. He's lining things up. He's getting things done. And people think, oh, well, just all handymen are man number one. No, not necessarily, but probably. But that doesn't mean that all men number one are handymen. We want to just make a rule. There is no rule for it. Well, at least no rule like that. But anyway, moving along here. The bottom line is we are part of the circle of mechanical humanity. That's the way that is. We're part of that. We are men numbers one, two, and three. We are not man number four. 
as a rule, we're all incomplete. What that means is we can't understand one another. If you can't understand what another person is saying, in other words, if you still get angry at what another person says, you can't understand them. And how we change that, how we fix that is, oh, yes, I understand you perfectly. You're just a bad person. (laughs) Then you don't understand. There are no bad people. They're just broken machines. And as long as you're thinking that somebody is an enemy, you're not understanding. It's just that simple. And if you don't like that, too bad. I didn't make it up. I'm just telling you what this work teaches, what esoteric teachings say. You can do whatever you want with it. It's your business. My business is simply to tell you what it is and to work on myself. You you can do whatever you want to do. Now, men numbers five, six, and seven form the conscious circle of humanity, of which we know precious little. And the reason we know precious little is because we're so immersed in our darkness here in the second state of consciousness where men numbers one, two, and three rule in the mechanical circle of humanity. In order to get to the conscious circle of humanity, we must pass through, think of an hourglass on its side or the infinity sign. Here you have the conscious circle of humanity. Of course, the hourglass is much, much bigger. On the mechanical circle of humanity, there's this huge group of people. And over here on the conscious side, there's this smaller group. So it's a smaller, it's an hourglass with a big thing here and a little thing here. But in between is man number four, the portal between man number one, two, and three, and man number five, six, and seven. He is not man number one, two, or three. He is not man number five, six, or seven. He's man number four. He's working on balancing his centers. He's working on balancing his life. He's working on becoming a harmonious man, a balanced man. That's what we're doing here. That's our job. In order to do that, you've got to wake up. You've got to reach this third state of consciousness in order to start to do that. Until then, we don't get much done. But we can get a lot done in a little bit of time in the third state of consciousness. In the second state of consciousness, we can get very little done in a lot of time. To get from here to there, we've got to build a balanced man by balancing our centers. It does no good to decide, to wish, or to talk about going to Mars if you can't build transport. You've got to have some kind of transport to get you from here to Mars. What good does it do to wish to decide, yes, I'm going? Well, if you can't build the transport, you can talk about it all you want. You can wish all you want. You can dream all you want. You must be able to build the transport. So as I've said, the psychology of man number one is the instinct of moving. Two is emotional. Three is intellectual. Psychology of man number four is balanced, which means able to employ all centers, not only one. Now, we imagine that we are able to employ all centers, not only one. And that's okay. You can imagine that. But let me just try and poke a hole in that balloon of imagination. Not to blow it up, not to explode it, but just to let a little bit of air out of it so that you've got a fighting chance. You rely predominantly on one center. You will automatically use that one center to deal with anything that comes up in life. So if your way of dealing with things is to be confrontive and aggressive, you will do that with almost everything that comes up automatically. If your way to deal with things is to withdraw and close up, you will do that in almost every situation without thinking about it because you're a one-centered person. Maybe you have done some work and you are now employing two centers. Good. Good for you. Maybe you've done some more work and you're employing three centers. Good. Keep working. That's why we're here. That's what this is about. That's what we're here for. That's what we're doing here. A man who gains his sense of self from his careful exactness is prized in life as a reliable, stable man. In the work, he's not so prized. He's man number one, two, or three. He's just a one-centered man. In the work, it's no big deal. In life, he's the prized possession. He's an important person. Because he's always counting, recording, adding up. He has little interest in art, nature, reading, things like that. This is being one-sided or limited to activities of a small part of his centers. 
It's not a crime. It's not a bad thing. It's just the way it is for us. It's just what sleeping humanity does. It's what people living in the second state of consciousness do. The only time it becomes a problem is if you wish to get into the third state of consciousness, if you wish to become man number four. The only reason to become man number four is so that you can get to man number five, who does not recur. Men numbers five, six, and seven, according to this work teaching, do not recur. They don't come back to do it again. They can reincarnate, but they do not recur. Recurrence being something that you have no choice in. Reincarnation being something that you may have some choice in. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. The work employs this man, this man who is stuck in one center, in inhabiting other rooms in the three-story building that we all are. So each of us is our own three-story building, as you know, this work teaches. We have one story, moving instinctive, two stories, emotional, third story, intellectual, that we live in one of those floors. And what the work employs any of us, no matter which floor you live on, what the work employs us in doing is inhabiting the other two equally with that one. In other words, becoming a balanced man. That is the aim of this work. The aim of this work is to produce a balanced man, a man with the possibility of reaching man number five. Right now, you don't have the possibility of reaching man number five. You have to get to man number five through man number four. You don't have the possibility of getting to man number five, six, or seven because you have to do something else first. And what this work is about is getting you to the place where you can develop a balanced man, man number four. Develop and inhabit man number four. Each center is a wonderful thing, but not for us. We excel in one and neglect the others. The Renaissance man has been supplanted by the specialist. Used to be a time when a doctor could tell you what was wrong with you. Now a doctor can tell you what doctor to go to to tell you what's wrong with you. It's called specialization. They have specialists everywhere. Used to be take your car to a mechanic. Now you have to take your car to this mechanic or that mechanic who can work on that kind of car or this kind of car because of specialization. Used to be there was a teacher in school who taught you. Now you have a history teacher, you have a phys ed teacher, you have an English teacher, you have an algebra teacher, you have a math teacher, you have an arithmetic teacher, you have all geometry, trigonometry, you have all these different specialization again. The Renaissance man is gone. We have not evolved, we have devolved. We no longer have balanced men, we have specialists. People who glorify the idea of one center. I'll find perfection by finding perfection in one center. So I'll find perfection by looking through this narrow little thing here. That's how I'll find everything. Okay, do that if you think that's going to work for you. The work says that's not going to work for you. You have to decide whether or not you want to do this work or you want to do something else. As long as life remains somewhat the same, a one-centered man may appear steady, balanced, and reliable. Throw a curve at him, though, and he's stressed and flustered. All of a sudden, he begins to repeat, hiccup, skip go back. He's only got one way of dealing with something, and that's the way he'll deal with it. So as long as things are going his way, everything is fine. He's on top of the world. He's the master of his destiny, the captain of his ship, and all that stuff. Throw him a curve, and all of a sudden, ah! it's not that way. If it doesn't sound familiar, you need to observe yourself. You don't need to, but you can. Life balances a one-centered man. It's a mechanical balance, but that's good enough for us. We imagine the mechanical balance is conscious, because we're asleep. So when we are mechanically balanced, in other words, life balances us. Life hasn't thrown us any curves today. So we're happy and balanced. It's a mechanical balance. Life throws us a curve. We're not balanced. A balanced man is balanced no matter what life is doing. That's not us. Okay, good. As long as we got that far, I think we're making progress here. 
To be flexible to life, we would need to use all centers equally, each one for the right situation. All centers equally does not mean equal time. It means all centers equally. It's like being ambidextrous. You can use the left hand or the right hand equally. Either way, doesn't matter which it is for you. And there are people like that. There are people who are just as comfortable with their left hand as they are with their right hand and just as comfortable with their right hand as they are with their left hand. It just doesn't make any difference which they use. For people who are not ambidextrous, they find it difficult to understand that. It's like, what? How is that possible? But it is possible because there are people who are like that. Not many, but there are people who are like that. And you can learn to be like that. No, that would take too much work. Well, that's where most people end up. No, that would take too much work. And so they don't do it. They I'm fine the way I am. And that's called sleep, the hypnotism of life, putting us back to sleep. To be balanced is to be flexible. If someone sits in your chair, the world doesn't have to end. You come in and somebody's sitting in your chair. Of course, it's not your chair. It doesn't have your name on it, but it's in your place. And it's the one you always sit on and everybody knows it. Why would that person do that when they know that? Obviously, they're trying to pick a fight with you. And so you're off and running mechanically. Riding a two-wheeled bicycle takes balance. What that means is constant adjustment. If you're riding on a two-wheeled bicycle, you are either falling to the left or falling to the right. That's what you're doing. And riding a bicycle is a balancing act between falling to the left and falling to the right. So you fall left a little bit, and then you fall right a little bit. Fall left a little bit, fall right a little bit. That's why it's impossible to ride a straight line on a two-wheeled bicycle. It cannot be done. The reason it can't be done is because you have to wobble a little bit in order to balance. And all that constant flexing, that constant flexibility is called balance. And you've got to be flexible. If you just are stiff, you refuse to fall to the left or to the right, you will fall to the left or to the right. One or the other, you will not fall to both. If you're flexible, you will fall to both. And you will do it so quickly and so minutely that it will appear that you're riding a straight line. But you're not. But it will appear that way to someone who doesn't know anything about what I'm talking about, which probably would cover a lot of people. But that's just an example. A truly balanced man might seem contradictory to our idea of balance because we think a rigid man, always the same, is reliable, steady, because we can count on him. The more rigid, the more reliable. You can count on that person. It suits us because we're inflexible. We don't like change because we're inflexible. We don't like life throws a curveball because we're inflexible. We don't like it when that happens. We don't like it when we get sick. We don't like it when something breaks because we're inflexible. We don't want it to be that way. But a balanced man doesn't care one way or the other. It doesn't matter. He just uses another center. Don't get depressed. To become balanced, we need to see where we're not. What needs to be developed in us? Where we're weak. Where we lack. We don't like looking at that. We only like to look at our strengths. We only like to look at the nice pictures of us. We don't like to look at the pictures of us with the photographs of us where we actually see our weaknesses, where we actually see our lacks. We don't like that. It makes us depressed because we are full of pride and vanity and imagination. We like to do what we're good at. We like to take the line of least resistance. Less effort is better. If you can find a way to do it with less effort, that's more efficient, that's better. What we haven't understood is that when it hobbles you, it is no longer better. This work requires effort. It's what makes people wander off to something easier. Esoteric Christianity requires effort. Exoteric Christianity requires belief. There's a difference between belief and effort. It may take a lot of effort to believe something, but it takes a lot more effort to do something. There's effort involved in both, but there's an exponential increase in effort involved with doing something or not doing something, as we've talked about in our light podcast for today. Are you good with your hands? Are you a good speaker, a good communicator? 
Are you good with numbers? If not, begin to try in the area in which you are not good. For example, for me, I'm not good with numbers. I have this mental block about math, and I'm not good with numbers. So I try in that area. I get little games and brain teasers and things where you have to memorize numbers and figure out numbers and time so you have to do it quickly. And I hate it. I hate it because it takes effort. It's not fun. They call it a game, but it's really torture to me. I can't seem to get it, the fun of it. What fun is there in constantly being wrong? I don't get that. What fun is there in constantly seeing you have this weakness? You don't seem to be improving. And yet, over time, I have improved. But not nearly enough, considering how much time I put into it. So what we do is we quit. It's not worth it. Maurice Nicole said, To think one can develop and grow an understanding without knowing something of what can be known is a silly idea. It's expecting something for nothing. We know intellectually that to expect something for nothing is absurd. Yet, emotionally, we expect something for nothing all the time. And we don't get it, and we have what we call negative emotions. Actually, I should rephrase that. Negative emotions have us. We don't have them. They have us. We are completely lost in them. They are running things. Now, Spensky said, In the fourth way, you must know something of everything known. An unused function remains outside one's consciousness. This work aims at increasing consciousness. So change nothing and your life recurs as before and likely it will get worse. It won't just stay in the same groove. That orbit will decay. You won't just go around again. That orbit will decay. That's how it works. Deal with it. To escape recurrence, we must reach level five of man, the outer circle of conscious humanity. To reach this freedom, we must first become number four man. What's that? We must be able to see things with different centers and not only from the same narrow acquired attitude. We're working on it. You're aware of working on this. You're aware that your way of doing things is to always see things the same way. That the problem you have with me isn't new. It's the same problem you have always had with me. There are times when you haven't had the problem, and there are times when you do. More often, you do. That means you're not able to see things another way. When you didn't have the problem, it didn't mean that I had changed. It meant that you could see things in a different way, that you had a better understanding, that you were able to get outside of your normal, hypnotic, sleeping attitude, fixed attitude about seeing things. I'm just using myself as an example. You could use your husband, your wife, your boss, your kid, whomever. It doesn't matter. You can use anyone as an example. You can use entire races of people as an example. It's called prejudice, prejudgment, where you only see things this way. So that's what we're up against. Instead of seeing one thing and judging it violently from some notion of good and bad, we must see many things. You'll notice that that's what prejudice is. It's one way of seeing things and then judging it good or bad and doing it violently, either to one extreme or the other. It's violent. It's always violent. That's the one mark of it. It's always violent. Even if that violence isn't expressed by blowing up a black church, or even if that isn't expressed by burning a cross on somebody's lawn, or isn't expressed by get all the aliens out of the country and close the borders, <laughs> if it's not expressed in that particular way, doesn't mean it's not expressed violently as we've already discussed about not expressing negative emotions, just because you don't come out with it, you don't stand up and punch somebody or kill somebody or say something mean, doesn't mean you're not expressing negative emotions when you're oozing negative emotions, when the vibrations are washing over everybody in the area. We imagine that because we kept their mouth shut, the toad didn't land on the floor and rib it at everybody. But the truth is, is that everybody knew anyway.
We must no longer see ourselves as good and those who don't agree with us as bad. We must see ourselves from many sides so our self-valuation changes. We must gracefully accept our many contradictions. This is what it means to be man number four. It doesn't mean this is what you have to do today. (laughs) This means this is what you're working toward. When you imagine you've reached it, then just bring this up as a litmus test. Do you still have problems with people? Do other people still have problems? Then you haven't reached man number four. When you reach man number four, you'll notice other people don't have problems. It's not their problem anymore. They don't have problems. It's like, what? It just doesn't occur to you. You've got to see your contradictions. I mean, you've got to be able to start to see your contradictions. And there are so many of them. It's like, how could we miss them? Yet we do. In our sleep, we miss most of them. Occasionally, we come up with a contradiction. It's like, oh, that's a big contradiction. I I want this, but I want that. I want this, but I keep doing that. So obviously, that's a contradiction. But we don't see as many contradictions as we have. That's because of buffers. And as I've said before, it's a gracious thing. If it weren't for the buffers, we'd go insane. Buffers have to be dissolved slowly and removed carefully, one at a time. You have to do this intelligently. You can't just blast in and just rip everything up. It doesn't work that way. We remain intractable and violent until we stop taking our being for granted and realize much of it lies in darkness and we blame other people for it. The one thing that really marks a balanced man, from my perspective, is his ability to see that he is not what he thought he was. That manifests in all these other things that I've been talking about. You don't see other people as the enemy. You don't see other people as the problem. You don't see other people as needing work. You see yourself. There isn't anybody else to see. You see yourself. You don't look at somebody and see somebody over there. You see yourself. That's a balanced man. That's what a balanced man can do. If you're not doing that, it's because you're not man number four. That's okay. That's what we're here to work on. That's what the aim of the work is, is to get us to that place where we can do that. It's a long process. It takes a lot of effort, but it can be done. And you are doing it. You have made progress. It can be done. There are balanced men living in life. We know some. Well, hopefully we know some. Man number five, six, and seven, they exist too. They're just a lot more rare. We don't know them very much because we can't see very far above our level. So if you happen to make it in to the third state of consciousness where you can start to work and become a balanced man, if that happens, if you can pull that one off, then you can extrapolate man number five, six, and seven. You may even run into man number five, six, or seven. Problem is you probably wouldn't know it. And if you did run into them, you probably would imagine that they would act some way other than the way they're acting. Nothing is more mystifying than a conscious man. They just don't make sense. Not to us. They don't make sense. They don't do what we think they should do. We think that we know what they should do. And then when they don't do that, we're angry or confused or hurt. That's crazy, people. But that's the way it is. As we are, we imprison others. A man from the conscious circle says, I came to set the captives free. Maurice Nicole said, this is a balanced man. He can see his mechanical reactions as not him and feel himself as distinct from them, as if they were going on below him. This is not the same thing as seeing our mechanical reactions as someone else. (laughs) That's not the same thing. Just because you can see that you're not the problem that the other person is doesn't mean you're a balanced man. You have to be able to see your mechanical reactions going on but below you, according to Maurice Nicole. This is what this work teaches. Observe yourself uncritically and become more and more conscious of what is in your being. 
And as you do that, you will become more and more objective to yourself. As you become more and more objective to yourself, you will see your mechanical reactions as not you and feel yourself, feel your sense of self as distinct from them, as if they were going on below you. This gradually dissolves imaginary I. So Steve pointed out Wednesday night, but it's still there. Yes, it's still there, as I tried to show. Yes, it's still there, but it's not yours anymore. Well, what's the difference? You have to experience the difference to know the difference. There's a difference. There's a huge difference. The difference is between being awake and being asleep, being mechanical, and being balanced, being more conscious. That's the difference, being more objective. That's the difference. The possibility of change begins only with the possibility of remembering yourself now. And this is why I say recurrence is not that important. It doesn't matter whether you recur or not. What you've got to deal with is now, this moment, now. Reincarnation, recurrence, transmigration. I don't talk about those things for a reason. The reason I don't talk about those things as a rule is because it doesn't matter. Now is what you have to deal with. Not then, not then. Not then that way, not then that way. Now. Now is the only time that you can awaken. Now is the only time that you can remember yourself. Now is the only time that you can make effort. You're either going to do it now or you're going to moan about it and not do it now. You can do one of two things now. You can make effort now or you can moan now. Which is it going to be? A conscious man doesn't have to recur. He doesn't have to return to the same place and time. But as I said, he may reincarnate. That's the work teaching. We're going to leave it there. I will offer you this one thing from John chapter 10 verses 16 through 18. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. This is what the work says conscious man can do, that he can reincarnate, that he can come back into the flesh, he can take life up again and do it again because he chose to, because he wants to, because he has the authority to do it and he does it on his own initiative. Not because he has to. It's not because he just has to. He has no choice. Not recurrence. It's reincarnation. That's what the work teaches. And now you know. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.